Well, it's a joy to have missionaries with us this morning. Holy Cross is involved in missions both locally, as you heard, and around the world. And we're going to tell you some more about the various missions that we have uh, as the year goes on. Um, Holy Cross is involved in missions, but I guess you might ask the question, why? We're involved with missions because God in Christ is involved in the mission in the world. In fact, the reason anything exists at all is because God is on a mission. Now, exactly what is God's mission in the world? Well, we only got a couple of minutes here, so I'll be very, very brief. But fortunately, God has given us a very excellent mission statement. The Father has stated clearly and succinctly what his mission in the world is. It is cosmic in scope, but it's very simple in conception. And I want to invite you to take out this blue handout, and no, we're not going to look at all of this this morning. But I've given this as some preparation for where we are headed over the next few weeks. If you look at this, the question is, what is God's mission in the world? And it's very simple. God's mission in the world is to gather a great people to worship him and enjoy him forever. To gather a great people to worship God and enjoy him forever. Revelation chapter 5 puts it this way. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on earth. Well, golly, you might say. What's so hard about that? I mean, after all, look, we're all here, right? I mean, we've all come to worship this morning. Seems like God ought to be able to snap his fingers and accomplish his mission. But, believer, I think this is where the book of Revelation can help us. Because, you see, the book of Revelation lays out a second principle that is at work in the world. Not only is God on a mission, but it turns out that God's mission is not unopposed. It turns out that God is accomplishing his mission right smack in the middle of a war zone, a cosmic war zone. Look there at Revelation 13, 7. This is the second principle as at work in the world. The beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Right? That's where God is trying to carry out his mission. And all who dwell on earth will worship the beast Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Anyone who has an ear, let him hear. Now here's the principle I want you to walk away with this morning. In cosmic war, there are no non-combatants. You must decide if God's mission has any prospect of success. Does he, as general of the armies of heaven, have the resources he needs to win this war and accomplish his mission? 
Is his grand strategy sound? Are his tactics workable? And if they are not, then you are best off to oppose him. But either way, there's no middle ground. Neutrality is not an option. I believe that the book of Revelation can be of inestimable. That's the second time we had that word this morning, isn't it? Inestimable help in your deliberations about whether God is going to be successful enough to accomplish his mission. Because the book of Revelation is three things. I've written them down for you in that handout. The book of Revelation provides three things to us different from every other book in Scripture. For the book of Revelation is a summary of everything that has gone before it. All 65 books are summed up in the book of Revelation. Secondly, the book of Revelation is a summary of all God's purposes and plans in the created order. And thirdly, as you read the book of Revelation, you will get the clearest picture of Christ and his place in the eternal purposes of God. For you see, Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of God's great strategy to accomplish his mission in creation. Now, just parenthetically here, I think the problem becomes for most people is that the book of Revelation is an enigma. It is as if it was written in some sort of code, a code too difficult to crack. And over the next three or four weeks, we're going to continue to look at the book of Revelation to see if we can help with that problem, to understand what is it that the book is saying. Let me just in advance give you three principles here that will help. First of all, recognize that the book of Revelation is what we call an apocalypse. It is, in fact, a revelation. It is not a cryptic code. You see, therefore, we should expect that the book is intended to reveal things, not to obscure things. It's not called the obfuscation of John. It is called the revelation to John. Secondly, like all apocalypses in Scripture, we have descriptions in it of things that the seer actually sees. Now, these pictures are real pictures of true realities, but the pictures are not equal to the realities themselves. You see, John doesn't look into the future out there somewhere and see rocket ships and bombs and nuclear war and have to come up with language to describe what he sees. He sees exactly what he says he sees. Doesn't that seem like a fair way to read the Bible? <laughs> He said that's what he saw, and so that is, in fact, what he saw. These are symbols for spiritual entities and spiritual events. The readers are intended to recognize some figures immediately. Who here doesn't know who the Lamb is? See me after church. Okay? We all know who the lamb is. Some of the symbols are easy to identify and understand. Some of the figures require us to work them out and to finally get a 
picture of them, and some of the figures are just downright surprising, eye-catching, breathtaking. Finally, the book is intended for John's audience and a widespread distribution. Okay? The book doesn't belong to a bunch of scholars somewhere living in a secret dark cell. It is not the province of the Illuminati. It belongs to every single Christian here this morning. Second interpretive principle, it is a prophecy. It calls itself a prophecy. Well, how does prophecy work? Well, where do you look? Look in the Old Testament. Find out how Old Testament prophecy works. You see, Old Testament prophecy works by borrowing imagery from other scriptures that have come before, and then the prophet takes that imagery and he reworks it into the current situation that God is telling him about. And most importantly, the way prophecy works is when the prophet speaks, he talks about things in his own day, he talks about things in the near-term future that are coming, and he talks about things looking far down the road. And so we should expect the same thing from the book of Revelation. It should talk about things that have already happened. It should talk about things that were occurring when John received the revelation. And it also talks about things in the future to come. Third principle. The blessings of the book are pronounced upon those who hear and do what? And keep what is written in the book. See, like all of Scripture, these materials are not given to us so we can have tickling ears. They're not about increasing our minds with strange and wonderful information. The point is, we should have our behavior changed because we read these things. To what end? so that we might be active and we might be prepared as God carries out his mission in the world and we can be a part of that mission instead of just standing on the sidelines going, hope things are going well down there in Bolivia. Well, that's a very brief summary of where we're going to go over the next four weeks. Our task, that's really not all that great. Revelation, you know, is simply the history and the future of everything. Because God's mission has been the same from before the foundation of the world through Christ until the end finally comes and we spend eternity with him. Let me leave you then with this preview of coming cosmic attractions. It's found in the book of Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe, every nation, and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And all of God's people said, 
Amen.